Hello, welcome to episode 44 of 10 Zero. I'm Maria. And I'm Caitlin. Happy April Fools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you sound so excited. I don't like April Fools. I don't either. Like, it used to be like a big thing for women to do, do the, the pregnancy pool. test thing. Oh my god, I'm pregnant! April Fools! Yeah. But it's not an April Fools joke. You're telling me. And these people are fucking assholes. Like, every year before April Fools, I normally make a Facebook post that says, if you are fucking stupid enough to do that, I will drive to your house, (laughs) punch you in the face, and tell you you are a piece of shit. Yeah. You're telling me. Like, if you fake a pregnancy, you're fucking low. Hmm. So fucking low. Hmm. <laughs> no comment. <sighs> well. <laughs> our true crime fact of the day was an April Fool's joke. Yeah. But we are going to 1924. Okay. Adolf Hitler is sentenced for his role in the Beer Hall Putsch. Push? Putsch? Of November 8th, 1923. The attempted coup in Munich by right-wing members of the army and the Nazi party was foiled by the government and Hitler was charged with high treason. Darn. Despite his conviction, Hitler was out of jail before the end of the year with his political position stronger than ever. Yeah. Fucking fortunately. Germany was in the middle. Starting out fresh. Got it. I can't fucking talk, like, ever. I think my tongue ring is getting to the point where, like, it gets in the way of me trying to talk really fast. It fucks me up. <sighs> Germany was in the midst of a crisis there in the early go. 1920s. After World War One, its economy was in shambles. And hyperinflation caused by widespread discontent. So... Basically what we're seeing now. That's exactly what I was just thinking. Um, Hitler and the Nazis stepped into this breach with often racist tactics that attracted a significant following throughout the nation. The failed coup turned out to be quite a boon for Hitler. Um, Mind you, these are not my words. When I do the true crime fact of the day, I just copy paste from the History Channel because, you know. Accurate. Why twist their words? Um, his trial brought him more attention and publicity than ever before, with a crowd of sense, including press from around the world watching the proceedings. Hitler made the most of his opportunity by going on the offensive, taking every chance to turn the subject away from the putsch itself. Hitler frequently made speeches about Germany's post-war plight. He blamed the Jews, Marxism, and France for the country's problems. I'm sorry, the the post-war plight that he put them in? Yeah. Okay. Continue. Repeatedly returning to his theme of hypernationalism Or eugenics. You know, whichever way you want to look at it. It's the same fucking thing. All the above. <sighs> the conservative-leaning judges 
did nothing to stop Hitler or keep focus on the attempted coup. The prosecutors, who had been threatened by Hitler's student followers, shrank from challenging the defendant. Mm-hmm. It soon became evident Hitler was winning the public relations battle by using his 25-day trial as a showcase for his extreme right-wing views. I don't like the fact that they use that term. Right-wing. In today's politics, I don't like the fact that they use it that way. No, but it's not wrong. But not all right-wing conservatives feel that way. And that's what bugs me. Touche. So, (laughs) even if he was technically losing the case. In his closing argument, Hitler declared that he would ignore the court's verdict because the eternal court of history would acquit him. No, it would not. You're still a piece of shit. The eternal court of history. (laughs) His conviction, Hitler spent the remainder of the year in prison writing the first volume of Mein Kampf. Mein Kampf. I, I, I don't speak I'll just say the German words for you. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> By the time he was released, <laughs> he had become more popular than ever, and within eight years, he had taken over Germany. Still a garbage human. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Still hate his guts. Si, senor. He can. Fuck right the fuck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. His. What was I watching the other day? I was watching a show. Oh, no, it was um, Justin, the dude that goes, hey, did you know on TikTok? Oh, yeah. Did you know that the place where Hitler committed suicide is now a park? I don't know how I feel about that. Like, children play there. Now you do. Anyway. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about that. Listen, did you know? You gotta get the accent right. Listen. <laughs> oh, God. If I wasn't laughing, I could probably do it. Did you know? Hold on. Listen. Did you know? <laughs> Fuck. God damn it. Now you do. Now you do. <sighs> Well, you went first last time, so I'll go first. Okay. That's fine. So, we are going to Bavaria. Oh. Okay, then. For the real-life exorcism. Yay! <laughs> what the fuck was that? Oh, man. I mean... That's, like, one of many. I mean, yeah. But... The most famous one. Ooh, is that not good? <laughs> that was really sweet. That face. Though. Like, I wasn't really paying attention when I poured the sugar into my coffee today. Oh, that was great. Because my bag of sugar, when I bought it, had, like, a hole in the bottom. Oh. Like, I didn't notice it, but I think, like, I sat it down outside of the car, and it poked a hole. Oh, yeah. So... <laughs> I just made the hole a little bigger, and I just used it to 
pour my coffee so I don't have to open the bag and make a mess. Well, I only filled my Ray Dunn mug. So I'm just sitting there pouring and I'm not paying attention. Do do do. And that was really sweet. But I have um, Southern Butter Pecan mm. Creamer in it. Mm-hmm. And I am like absolutely in love. That creamer is life. I, I would. And normally I drink my coffee black. I would mess up my stomach for some some that creamer. I'm not going to say the word because you're going to make fun of me. <laughs> it is not pecan. It is. No. <laughs> it is pecan. I have literally used, can. I have literally played you the pronunciation. I don't care. But it's how it's pronounced. Literally can at the end. Anyway. It's pecan. Annalise Elizabeth Michael was born on September 21st, 1952 in Liebfling, Bavaria. She was very religious and went to Mass twice a week. When she was 16, she suffered a severe seizure and was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. Okay. Okay. In 1973, she graduated and joined the University of Würzburg. Her classmates would later describe her as and very religious. Okay? Okay. Okay. So, backtracking a little bit. June of 1970, she suffered a third seizure at the psychiatric hospital where she had been staying. She was prescribed anti-convulsion drugs for the first time, which did not fix the issue. The same month, she was prescribed another drug to treat her psychoses, including schizophrenia, disturbed behavior, and delusions. Do we see where we're going here? Yeah. Okay. By 1973, she suffered from depression and had begun hallucinating while praying and complained about hearing voices telling her that she was damned and would rot in hell. That's kind of what schizophrenia does. Well, yeah. Just saying. Combined with all the other shenanigans that was being shoved down her throat. Her treatment in a psychiatric hospital did not improve her health and her depression worsened. I can't say I blame her. I would, too. Long-term treatment did not help, and she grew more frustrated with the medical intervention and taking drugs that weren't helping for five years. As time went on, Annalise became intolerant of Christian places and objects, especially a crucifix. See, here's my thing. Yeah. You're a very religious person. Right. Okay. She's probably thinking, why is God doing this to me? Yeah. I would probably not want to see that too. So this is going to get kind of morbid. Well. When I went through my traumatic shit, I was 16. Like, I still went to church with my grandparents on the weekends. The last thing I wanted to do was go to church after that. Yeah. Because why would God let that happen to me? Mm-hmm. So That's I why it. I have such a hard time believing that there's anything. I get it. Like, why would you let a small right. child die of cancer? Why? Yeah. Anyway. 
Um, I lost my spot. Crap on Parker. Okay. Um, Annalise went to San Damiano with a family friend who regularly organized pilgrimage trips. Her escort concluded that she was suffering from demonic possession because she was unable to walk past a crucifix and refused to drink the water out of a holy spring. I'm probably also not going to drink water out of the ground. I mean, I have, but I use water purifying tablets first. I'm not drinking water straight out the ground. No. I don't want to die. It's got to be filtered or something first. I I don't want it. Unless it comes from, like, the natural spring. Which I'm assuming this is what it was. But if you're telling me that it's a holy spring, I'm not going to believe it. So, sorry. Um, The priest that she spoke with Father Alt. Um, This is a quote from him. Annalise told me, and Frau Hein confirmed this, that she was unable to enter the shrine. She approached it with the greatest hesitation, then said that the soil burned like fire, and she simply could not stand it. She then walked in a wide arc and tried to approach it from the back. She looked at the people who were kneeling in the area surrounding the little garden, and it seemed to her that while praying they were gnashing their teeth. She got as far as the edge of the little garden, and then she had to turn back. Coming from the front again, she had to avert her glance from the picture of Christ. She made it several times to the garden, but could not get past it. She also knew that she could no longer look at medals or pictures of saints. They sparkled so immensely that she could not stand it. Annalise and her family became convinced and consulted several priests and asked for an exorcism. I don't know why that word is so hard for me to say. The priest declined and recommended the continuation of medical treatment and informed the family that exorcisms required the bishop's permission. So in the Catholic Church, you need official approval to perform an exorcism. And it's given very sparingly. It has to meet certain picky-ass criteria, all that other great stuff. Um, She worsened physically and displayed aggression, self-injury, drank her own urine, and ate insects. Fun, not fun stuff. Um, 1973, Annalise started her treatment with Tegretol, which was an anti-seizure drug and a mood stabilizer. She was prescribed um, more antipsychotic drugs during the course of the religious rites and took them frequently. Despite these neuroleptic medications, Annalise's symptoms worse and she began to manifest, quote, growling seeing demons and throwing things. I mean, it's kind of what schizophrenia does. Again, yeah. you're going to see things. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear things. Yep. And probably all the medications she's on yeah. in the 70s, they weren't looking for contraindications. No. So, just saying. Throwing it out there. It's... It's basically the same thing with what happened to what to do. Yeah. Have we covered that yet? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'll put on the list. But I highly doubt in the 70s they were looking for contraindications. Right. Especially in a case like this. 
they're trying to move you through. They're trying to get you pushed out. Yep. They're not. Back then, they weren't really looking for answers and cures. They were, how can we bury it? Right. How, how can, can we, we get it out? So, to her exorcism. Okay. Um, Father Alt stated that she didn't look like an epileptic and that he did not see her having seizures during this whole thing. Um, he believed that Annalise had been suffering from a demonic possession and urged the local bishop to allow one. In a 1975 letter to Alt, Annalise wrote, quote, I am nothing. Everything about me is vanity. What should I do? I have to improve. You pray for me. September 1975, Bishop Joseph Strangle, which I found kind of ironic, um, granted Arnold Wren's permission to perform an exorcism according to the ritual nomanium of 1614, but also ordered him to keep this secret so nobody was allowed to know. Obviously, that didn't fucking work. Of course not. September 24th, he flattened that much. I would probably want to die too. <laughs> I'd be like, just give me the book, let me do it myself at, that at pro- this point. At that point, you could probably recite them. Oh <laughs> like, not to make fun of what happened to her. 67. But no. 67. No. Over a 10-month span. Fuck that. Hang on. Oh. You're going to do the math, aren't you? You bet your fucking ass I'm going to do the math. <laughs> uh, 10 divided. No, let's do 10 30. July 1st of 1976, Annalise died in her home. The autopsy report stated that the cause of death was malnutrition and dehydration, resulting from nearly a year in a semi starved state while the exorcisms were being performed. At the time of her death, she weighed 66 pounds and suffered broken knees due to continuous genuflections. You know what a genuflection is, right? No. So when you walk into a church and you're Catholic, you're supposed to do that every time you enter the pew or, you know, the up, down, down kind of thing. Yeah. Marcus knows all about that. He's, he, his, his family's Catholic and I, I can't do it. I, I was forced I to. Him, so. I look at him and I go, I swear to God, if you make me have a Catholic fucking wedding. No. <laughs> we will fucking have issues. I was forced to. So there's that. I will not. Um, she was unable to move without assistance and was reported to have contracted pneumonia. Of course. So obviously we can't let this go without some kind of prosecution. Right. So, after an investigation, the state prosecutor maintained that Annalise's death could have been prevented as close as one week before she died. In 1976, the state charged Annalise's parents and fathers Alt and Renz with negligent homicide. Good. I feel like it's enough, but... I see it, but I don't. If... She's a grown-ass adult, okay? I mean, obviously, she has psych issues. But if she's stuck in a room... They could have tube-fed her. They could have... They could have done something to make her... I mean, if she's not in her right mind, she's not willing to eat, 
some kind of power of attorney has to be something. Exactly. It was the 70s. They knew what power of attorney was, especially for medical census. Right. So they could have said that she was not of sound mind and forced her somehow to eat or take in fluids or something. The state recommended that no parties involved be jailed, surprisingly. Um, instead, recommending sentences for the priests be fines and that the parents had suffered enough, which is a criteria of German law. So March 30th of 1978, the trial begins. Before the court, doctors testified that Annalise was not possessed stating that this was a psychological effect because of her strict religious upbringing and her epilepsy. But Dr. Richard Roth allegedly told her during the exorcism that, quote, there is no injection against the devil. Which is kind of strange to me. Um, a bit. Schmidt Leichner, mm-hmm. um, he was the legal representation for the parents, said that the exorcism was legal and that the German constitution protected citizens in the unrelated exercise of their religious beliefs. Which is fine. Right. But it killed your daughter. Yeah. I would have been pissed. The defense played... Oh, that's a bad typo. (laughs) What'd you do? It's supposed to be tapes. Yeah. It's not tapes. Oh, God. Look at your keyboard of what is one letter to the left of the T. Or to the right of the T. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. The defense played tapes recorded during the exorcism sessions, sometimes featuring what was claimed to be demons arguing to assert their claim that Annalise was possessed. Both priests said that demons identified themselves as Lucifer, Cain, Judas, Iscariot, Belial, Legion, Blur, and Nero. They further said that she was finally freed because of the exorcism just before her death. The bishop said that he was not aware of her alarming health condition when he approved the exorcism and did not testify. I call bullshit. You are so picky about criteria for approving an exorcism. Mm -hmm. I find it very hard to believe that you would have approved one if you would have seen her mental slash physical state. Just saying. Right. Um, The accused were convicted of negligent homicide and were given suspended prison sentences in April 1978 and were ordered to share the cost of the proceedings. Fine. The sentence have, sentences have been described as stiffer than requested by the prosecutor who had asked that the priest only be fined and that the parents be found guilty but not charged. Okay. Um, after the trial, the parents asked the authorities for permission to exhume her body. Oh. The official reason presented by the parents was that Annalise had been buried quickly in a cheap coffin. Almost, yeah, almost two years after the burial on February 25th, 1978, um, Annalise's remains were replaced in a new oak coffin lined with tin. 
The official reports state that the body had signs of significant decomp. No shit. It's been two years that she's been in the ground. And she only weighed 66 pounds. There's not much to decomp. <laughs> like at that point, your skin is so paper thin. There's not much to decomp. So, there, there's yeah. There's The priests were told that they were not allowed to go to the cemetery to see her remains. Um, Ren's later... That right there's a red flag. He, sorry, lost my spot. Friends later stated that he had been prevented from entering the mortuary where her remains were. Um, her grave has become a pilgrimage site. The number of officially sanctioned exorcisms decreased in Germany due to this case, in spite of Pope Benedict's support for wider use of it compared to Pope John Paul II, who in 1999 made the rules stricter. Um, good, thank you. June 6th of 2013, a fire broke out in the house where the Michaels had lived, and although the local police said it was arson, some locals attribute it to the exorcism. It is possible. If it was an actual possession. Yeah. But I'm not, I don't think it was an actual possession. I'm having trouble believing that it was because of her documented mental state. Yes. If if you're schizophrenic, you are hearing things constantly. You are seeing things constantly. And all the medication that she was on, half of it was probably experimental at this point with how long she was in a mental right. institution and all that fun stuff. But... I'm having a very hard time believing that this was an actual possession. Right. I don't believe that it is. I, I find it very hard to believe that with all of the very strict criteria that is set like, for an exorcism to be approved. Right. They want your medical history. They want your mental they want history. They want everything. everything. I find it very hard to believe that he didn't know about her physical state. Oh, he knew. He just didn't care. I find it very so, hard to believe. To have an exorcism, you have to meet, like, this laundry list of things. And I think it's gotten a little less strict. But, back then, you had to show some type of proof. Like, so even for the demon house in Gary, we'll go back to that for example, when they thought that little boy was possessed, they had to get permission to do an exorcist. Even though the priest that was at the house that day watched him climb backwards up a wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry, I'm trying to find the criteria. Like, it's just ridiculous. There's so much shit that you have to do to be able to get an exorcism that I can't see that being. I don't see it. I don't think she needed an exorcism. I think she needed a cure for what was going on in her head. Granted, we don't have a cure for schizophrenia. We no, don't have that's a cure not a thing. for anything like that. But we can 
Medicaid health. According to the Vatican's guidelines issued in 1999 with Pope John Paul II, mm -hmm. the person who claims to be possessed must be evaluated by doctors to rule out a mental or physical illness. She had multiple mental illnesses. Heavily documented. There's Heavily no way that they should have had permission to do an exorcism. Most reported cases do not require an exorcism because 20th century Catholic officials regard genuine demonic possession as an extremely rare phenomenon that is easily confounded with natural mental disturbances. As the demand for exorcism has increased over the past few decades, the number of trained exorcists has also risen. I don't... Many times a person just needs spiritual or medical help, especially if drugs or other addictions are present. I don't see that as, no. as valid. Absolutely. I just, I don't. Absolutely not. Alright. Well, this one's kind of a doozy. Because we're going back into the whole mental state of things. It's a whole mental episode. It's fine. It is. So, this person became famous in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. Ta-da! We're still in the 70s, too. <laughs> For being the first criminal who was acquitted by reason of insanity due to multiple personality disorder. Well, we talked about this. Yep. Today, it's called DID, mm -hmm. or Dissociative... And m and m and m and Identity Disorder. <laughs> According to the Mayo Clinic... Those diagnosed with the condition tend to involuntarily switch to various identities area where she worked as a singer. There she began living with Johnny Morrison. Dorothy and Morrison had two other children, a son named Jim and a daughter named Kathy Jo. Morrison struggled with fatherhood, and according to Daniel Keyes, meeting medical expenses overwhelmed Johnny. He borrowed more, gambled more, and drank more, and was hospitalized for acute alcoholism and depression in 1958. In what appeared to be a suicide attempt... Pause. Yes. Jim Morrison? Like, doors? I don't know. I, I didn't look into it. But now I'm going to... He died last year. No. This Jim was born in October of 1953, and Jim Morrison was born December 8th of 1943. So close, but no cigar. Anyways. <clears throat> Wait, say that again? What? What was his date of birth? Jim Morrison was born December 8th of 1943. And Billy Milligan's brother was born in October of 1953. Okay. Never mind. Okay. He was also <laughs> born in Florida. Yeah. How weird is that? Right. So. Sorry. You're squirrel. In what appeared to be a suicide attempt, Dorothy found him slumped over a table with half a bottle of scotch and an empty bottle of sleeping pills on the floor. A few months after this attempt, on January 17th, 
He died by suicide from carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh. When Billy was just four years old. Oh. Dorothy took her children and moved away from Miami, eventually returning to Lancaster, Ohio, where she remarried her ex-husband. Um, the marriage lasted about a year. Well, um, if you're going to marry your ex, I, I feel like right. it's probably not going to last that long. Right. In 1962, she met Chalmer... Milligan. That's a hell of a name. Chalmers' first wife, Bernice, divorced him on the grounds of gross le- neglect. He had a daughter named Alla, the same age as Billy, and another daughter who was a nurse. She's unnamed. Okay. Dorothy and Chalmer married in Circleville, Ohio in 1963. Chalmer was an abusive stepfather to Billy, based on medical reports from psychiatrists who treated him. The abuse from Chalmer was the root cause of his personality disorder. During talks with psychiatrists, Billy revealed that Chalmer sodomized and tortured him in various ways when he was just nine years old. Mm. Chalmer denied all of Billy's allegations, and he was never apprehended. However, Billy's brother, sister, and mother attested to Chalmer's abusive nature during Billy's trial. It's claimed that Billy had multiple personalities from a much earlier age. However, with his first three appearing by the time he was just five years old. Christ. So he had a boy that is unnamed, Christine and Sean, by the time he was five. His parents admitted him to a mental facility where he was diagnosed with hysterical neurosis. Months later, however, he was let go from the facility because of his troublesome behavior. He was also expelled from high school, and Billy then decided to enlist in the Navy at 17. But even the Navy couldn't give Billy stability. He was discharged just a few months after enlisting, as it was evident he wasn't able to adapt to the new environment. Milligan started his life of crime soon after his short-lived stint in the Navy. In 1972, he was arrested for rape, kidnap, and assault. Oh. Three years later, he was sentenced to two years in prison for robberies. He was paroled in 1977, and again, he committed kidnappings, rapes, and robberies. He was arrested for the crimes on October 27th of 1977. Milligan was arrested for raping three women on the Ohio State University campus. Jesus. He was identified by one of his victims from existing police mugshots of sex offenders and from fingerprints lifted from another victim's car. Since he used a gun during the crime and guns were found in a search of his residence, he had violated his parole as well. He was indicted on three counts of kidnapping, three counts of aggravated robbery, and four counts of rape. That's a lot. Yes. He was placed in the Ohio State Penitentiary pending trial. In the course of preparing his defense, he underwent a psychological examination by Dr. Willis Driscoll, who diagnosed Milligan with acute schizophrenia, another misdiagnosis. He was then examined by psychologist Dorothy Turner, 
of Southwest Community Mental Health Center in Columbus. And during this examination, she concluded that Milligan suffered from DID. Okay. Milligan's public defenders, Gary Schweikert, 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 and Judy Stevenson pleaded an insanity defense. And he was committed until such a time as he regained sanity. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Milligan was sent to a series of state-run psychiatric hospitals, such as the Athens State Hospital, where, by his report, he received very little help. While he was in these hospitals, Milligan reported having ten different personalities. These ten were the only ones known to psychologists. Later, additional 14 personalities labeled the undesirables were discovered. Mm-hmm. And we'll get more into that. Okay. Among the first 10 were Arthur, a prim and proper Englishman who is an expert in science, medicine, and hematology. Alan, who is a manipulator. God, I feel like I can't breathe all of a sudden. I just got really congested. It did get really hot in here. Out out of nowhere. Tommy, an escape artist and technophile. Reagan, a Yugoslav communist who Milligan claimed had committed the robberies in a kind of Robin Hood spirit. And I can't talk. <laughs> in 1996, he lived in California where he owned Stormy Life Productions and was going to make a short film, which apparently was never made. Okay. His location thereafter remained unknown for a long time as his former acquaintances had lost all contact with him. Well. He died of cancer at a nursing home in Columbus, Ohio on December 12, 2014, and he was 59 years old. Oh. So, going back to the multiple personalities. Mm-hmm. He's known to have 24. Yikes. So, with a personality fractured into that many parts. That's there's a, That's a lot. It's a lot to take in. I can only imagine what it's like for him to light a day through Milligan's eyes. Reagan had control in the like the sketchy situations, whereas Arthur was the intellectual. If there was any type of pain involved, David would take over. Okay. And there were ten desirables in total, and they all looked out for each other. Only two of the personalities didn't fit into the dichotomy. Sean was a deaf four-year-old who couldn't function in the body. He wasn't cast out like the undesirables, but they didn't let him be in control at all either. So then there's the teacher. So the teacher was the fused personality. So it was like basically... The one that spoke for everybody. Right. Um, unlike Million, the teacher held all of the memories of everyone else. Million was the original, 
but was not like once his personality divided, he wasn't whole anymore. Okay. So that being said, if one took over, he didn't have the memories. So I believe that it's possible for people with the ID to commit these crimes and then not have a memory of and it then when not they switch. Have any memory of it when they switch back. I mean, obviously I wouldn't know. Or do I? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not trying to move it. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to process. To section your brain into 24 pieces. Be it willingly or unwillingly. And then to have the one that you know is there but can't function. Right. That's I think that, strange to me. That I mean, part kind of throws me off a little bit. Yeah. Having a... But at the same time, I guess it doesn't. There's a lot of people with DID who go back to almost like a traumatized version of themselves at a certain age when their trauma began. Mm-hmm. And they're rendered to where they can't function fully. Right. So I kind of get it. But at the same time, why wasn't Sean cast out with the undesirables if that was the case? Why was he protected? Yeah. What is that movie? We just talked about it the other day. The one that I was talking about? No, the one that I showed you. Split? Yes. That is... Like a 110% like depiction of how Billy Milligan's brain was working. There was a lot mm-hmm. of different personalities, but you had the one that talked for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then you had Patricia. <laughs> and I'm not trying to make fun of the situation. But the movie, the way that it it all goes back to having that one constant. Mm-hmm. There's like the main face, if you will. Yes. And then there's the one that takes all the blame. Right. A.K.A. Patricia. Mm-hmm. That wasn't me. That was Patricia. Well, can I talk to Patricia? No. Why not? She doesn't want to talk to you. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's completely possible that he had no recollection of any of it. But the one personality did. I don't It's hard for me to fathom your brain being split into 24 separate things that aren't, that are but aren't aware of each other. Right. If that makes sense. I think they're all aware of each other. 
they just but then your your memories essentially don't transfer right you know I mean it's like having 24 flash drives plugged into one computer not possible but you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> We're also talking about a piece of equipment, not something as, as much as I would love to say that, you know, everything about the brain and how mm-hmm. it functions, Ooh, I don't sorry. think There's we no way. could possibly ever know. There's no way. You, there's, there's no way. No. We're talking about something that runs a giant flush sack. I mean, <laughs> what? A giant suit. <laughs> oh, God. Like, I just, I don't know. It weirds me out that, like, memories don't right. transfer. Well, it does, but it doesn't, because, like, you have the, each individual profiles, if you will. And then you're just switching back and forth. Right. And they don't. But I. Go with. Okay. I kind of get it. Because when I dissociate, like, when I space out, I can be in the middle of a conversation mm-hmm. and not know what the fuck I was talking about. Oh, yeah. Two seconds before. Easy. What if it's something like that? Where your brain, as soon as another personality takes over, it wipes out everything. So you don't remember it. Yeah. And it's completely possible. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a lot. I don't know. Do I th- absolutely think it's a thing? Yes. But then you also see all these people on TikTok that think they have it or right. go now, through life like they have it. I do follow one person and they have their different personalities, try different foods. Asher? Yes. Yeah. And, but I, I don't know. I think she seems kind of, they seem kind of genuine. I don't want to assume pronouns because I don't know who's who. But those are the only two that I think are like 110%. I don't, I've never met somebody with it that I know of. I don't think I ever have either. But then you ask my husband and I have 24 different personalities. So... Oh, Marcus There's straight that. up tells me that <laughs> if we are fighting, he's fighting with like eight different versions of me at the same time. Yeah. It just depends on if I got enough sleep that night or not. Yeah, mine's normally when I'm hungry. Yes. I am very hangry. All the time. Mm-hmm. If I say I don't care where we go to dinner, you have about five minutes to pick somewhere. <laughs> Before I lose my shit. <laughs> so we go home on our on our off day, right? Yeah. And I'll sleep until like noon. Jeremy has an hour to feed me after I wake up. 
normally I that don't entails eat when I wake up. That normally entails getting me dressed and getting me out the door and going to Valpo. Because nine times out of ten, I want Mexican because I'm on an <laughs> obsession kink. Apparently, I like fajitas now. Leave me alone. <laughs> oh no! Like when I wake up, I'm like, don't fucking talk to me. Let me take my meds. Because normally I have like a raging, and I'm like, let me take my Zyrtec. <sighs> Drink some caffeine. <laughs> don't talk to me until I've done that. And then, like, I'll feed Dodo, or I'll feed the kids, depending on if everyone's home or not. Or I'll send the kids off to school. And I go back to bed. <laughs> like, just leave me alone and let me go back to sleep. But I don't eat. Like, unless I'm eating meals, I don't eat. Like, I'll make Gordon fucking pizza rolls for lunch. I'll eat, like, two. And I'm like, I can't eat any more. I'm full. For two little pizza rolls. That's just how my brain works. Anyways, now that we're done ranting. All of our socials are in our bio and they will be in the show notes. Yes. Um, yeah. If we get 250 followers on Facebook and 250 followers on Instagram, we will do a personalized Tumblr giveaway. With some goodies inside. Some stickers and some candy. If we hit 250 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we will do a one-of-a-kind reverse tie-dyed hoodie with our logo on it. There's only two in existence. I even told my mom she can't have one. Um, Sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Go ahead and hit those like buttons. And... Stay safe. And try not to miss 10-0.